So um, I think one of our intentions was to speak about the divine feminine today. The divine yeah, feminine. Oh, I'll get oh, the microphone. Sorry. She's under the weather. Sorry. Give me a moment. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I know you guys want to talk about this a lot, but maybe that'll, that, that's in the it'll all it'll, tie together. Yeah, yeah. 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 <clears throat> it's all connected. It's true. It is all connected. <laughs> Would you manage for a moment while I get some fresh batteries? Sure. Well, anyway, I don't really need to say anything. I can just chant. So what I was planning on doing this morning because of this idea of bringing the Divine Feminine was to chant the names of the female prophets uh, and the wives of the Prophet Muhammad. So I'll just start with that. Oh, do you guys want to chant something too? Or do you want yes. to? Okay. <laughs> so I forgot about that part. Um, so why don't you chant um, the high, high, who again, which is the living one, high, the living one, and then who is the divine essence. So it's um, high, high, who.
that might have felt a little bit like waves to you the high high who could you feel it like like waves sort of rising and falling um, <clears throat> high is a name of life of, of manifestation like lahayam uh, and who is the divine pronoun that signifies the essence and so that that chant, in a way, it's the cycle of moving from the unmanifest ground, the essence, and into manifestation, and the journey of return into essence, like those waves rising and falling from the ocean of being. That's sort of what I felt like, like we were these waves rising from the essence and never departing from the essence. <coughs> anyway, that just, that was, and, and the mothers, hearing the names of the mothers uh, and thinking of them so fully representing both of those qualities, the essence, the mother of everything, the mother essence, but then also the way these holy women, holy mothers embody the full manifestation, the vibrance of, of, of high, and also the essence of food, that there's sort of this union of both of those so beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say that I I felt it as a very um, intense heart opening. Yeah, it was a very intense heart opening for me, and I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, they they come when you call them. They come. So. Wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. Amy? I just have, actually have a question. You were holding um, that object, and I was wondering, um, number one, what is it exactly? And number two, why would you be holding it if you weren't using it? Yeah, um, this, is a, this is a Persian drum. It's a staff. Um, and basically, I play it like a, da like a drum, but I also use it, it's a Persian technique, to sing across the, the face of the drum. And that creates like a resonance. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's just a sound. It's just a sound technique. They use it. Persian Sufis use it a lot. Like they sing across the face of the drum. So something I picked up from Persian Sufi friends. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So last, uh, Rich. One of our um, members brought up. Um, the, the female in, in Judaism a couple of weeks ago, and I know that we're trying to reclaim the feminine in Judaism. Mother Mary is prominent in in Christianity. Um, how prominent are the, the mothers? So that is fully on our agenda today, okay. but coming second. Okay. okay, so hold on to that. Sure. Because what we wanted to do first is, um, you all received the handout that uh, says Al-Fatiha, on the top. So at the end of our class, at the end of our class two weeks ago, Karuna demonstrated for us how this prayer is done with also the physical, um, you know, motions and bowing and gestures. Uh, and uh, she suggested that we look at what it means also um, first. And also, here, if, there, if, if you want to reach back to two weeks ago and your experience of that prayer, 
if you want to share anything about it. And uh, this translation is a spiritual, beautiful translation. Uh, I also went and printed out a more, what you'd call, uh, what would we call it, literal translation, um, because it reminded me, which I have here, you don't have, because it reminded me, and those who know Hebrew will recognize words here uh, that are very close in Hebrew and Arabic, of how, how if you read a literal translation of our prayer book, uh, it won't resonate the same way as if you read a uh, poetic and spiritual translation of our prayer book. So, that the, the, so that's just something I was noticing while I was studying this. But uh, would you like to, do you want to go through this prayer? What would you like to do, Karuna? Um, I, well, I just want to say this is the opening surah of the Quran. <laughs> this is the first surah. And most of the surah is God talking to human beings. In this surah, humanity speaks to God. So it's a, it's a prayer. And this is used in every, uh, for those of you who are here, for every cycle of the prayer. When you're standing, on the, and, and you're first standing on the prayer mat, that's what you say first. Either you're saying it um, aloud in certain of the prayers, or you're saying it um, silently. But it's always said in the beginning of each cycle of prayer. And a cycle, you go through the, you, you stand, you bow, you stand, you do what's called sujud or um, prostrate, you, you, you come back up to your knees, you bow again, you come back up, that's called a rekat. Um, and, and every, so for, at the beginning of every rekat, you say this prayer. So it is really, um, and there are 17 rekats in a day. So for, for practicing Muslims, you are saying the Fatiha at least 17 times a day. Wow. Which clearly would be more than any other prayer. Yes. That gets rep uh, on a daily basis. Yes. Okay, that's very interesting. So, so um, uh, it, it, it's, such a, I mean, where to begin? It's a, it's such a, it's such an ocean of of um, prayer. And um, a, a word about translation: there are, um, because Arabic is so resonant, and and has the uh, the words have so many evocations that we don't get in. Um, it's, it's very difficult to get a sense, and I think um, this, it, it's not just a poetic translation, but I feel that uh, knowing Imam Bilal Haida, studied with him, um, he's really working at, and he's, a, he's an amazing Arabic scholar, he's really working at giving you a sense of the whole um, field of resonance in, oh, in beautiful, the... Beautiful. In the um, in, the, in his translation. There are, and um, when I say poetic, I say that with great <coughs> weight. Right, Not, right. It's just art. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, there's no separating between the artful way of expressing this and its deepest meaning. Um, so, the, um, the, but read your other translation. I think that would be a good sense of. If you wanted to translate it now, I don't even know. I don't think Yamal Din is actually the day of is Din judgment. No, 
Dean is judgment in Hebrew. Yeah, it's it's, but I don't think I I, I don't. Dean is you know is is religion is the way is yeah, the but, it's a but maybe there's a double meaning there that's but, judgment. But but yours tra yours tra mm -hmm. translates that. Master of the that. day of judgment. Yeah, master of the day of judgment. Yeah, that's. Mm -hmm. That's how you... Maliki yeah. Yomidin. Yeah. Well, I've seen it translated as their judgment. Yes, yes. And that's his, that was his translation. Right. And Melech, uh, for Hebrew, Hebrew speakers, Melech Yom Hadin. The, the master of the day of judgment. So... Here it's a day of return in this day Right, right. So, so look at yours. Read the first line so it's pronounced correctly. <coughs> Bismillah irrahman irahim. Alhamdulillah il rabbil alameen. Beautiful. So bismil in the name of bismil Allah. Bismil. Bismillah. Bismillah in the name of God. Rahman irahim. That's and in Hebrew rahman and rahum, which means compassionate and uh, compassionate. Merciful. <laughs> Or if there's a distinction, right? Um, al alhamdulillah means... I'll praise to Allah. So it's what, like hallelujah. It's just the same as hallelujah. Oh, thank you. <coughs> Matthew brought the... His, we'll hand these his out afterwards. It's a, a reading list. ...version for a Christianity reading list. So uh, we'll hand that out at the end of class. Uh, alhamdulillah is like hallelujah. Uh... Rab, Rab il Alamin, Lord of the Universe. Rab, Master, Hakarosh, yeah, Ribbono Sholam. That's what we say in Hebrew. Alamin, Olam in Hebrew, Master of the Universe, or Lord of the Universe. And then it says again, Ar Rahman Irachim. Really driving that home. <laughs> yeah. Rahman, gracious, merciful. In it, Hebrew, Rechem, the root of Rachamim, which is compassion in Hebrew, or uh, mercy, is Rechem, which means womb. Yes, yeah, same in there. Okay. It's the womb. So if we're going to head over towards the divine feminine, know that the word in Arabic and Hebrew for compassionate or merciful is derived from the word for womb. <coughs> and these are actual names of Allah. And in fact, the Quran often uses, instead of Allah, uses uh, Rahman in particular. Um, so, Irahman is a, a, another, um, another name for God that is, that is used over and over again. Mm. Um, and, and the merciful um, uh, attributes of Allah are driven home again and again, and it's a much smaller number of the more um, uh, po the powerful or the um, negative traits, the angry retributive right, traits. Right, that's right. The same is true in Hebrew where Rahman is used as one of the names of God mm -hmm. continuously. Um, and uh, if you translate it as wombful, you know, like, then, even though both in Arabic and Hebrew, the language is gendered, so that the name of God and God is referred to mostly as in masculine pronouns, 
the origins of the names are all over the place. So one of my conclusions has been that in addition to the, um, to the suppression of the feminine in, in, in our patriarchal uh, systems, there's also uh, a problem with language in a gendered um, language. Like, how do you do it? And uh, the default on, in English, well, English isn't as gendered, but uh, even so, until very recently, it's always been uh, mankind, right? And the brotherhood of men, and so on. So we need to blow that up. Um, I tried to do that at the bottom. Good, good. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> and the next line, Maliki Yamidin, is that how you say it? Melech Yom Hadin, master or Melech king, a ruler of the day of judgment. That would be a literal. Now, what's Yom Hadin in the Jewish tradition? Yom Kippur is, is, the, is the day of judgment, but what is that judgment? Right? Uh, depends how we interpret it. And then, how do you pronounce the next line? <laughs> That's pretty. <laughs> My Arabic is not really that good. But That's okay, it's better than mine. <laughs> you, you alone we worship, you alone we ask for help. And notice there, there's a shift. First you're calling on Allah, but then suddenly you are addressing him as a as a as a in the second person so. he's there now you've you've called 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 him and he has come and now you're speaking directly mm -hmm. to him again for people familiar with jewish prayer there's also a continual shift between the third and second person in address to god the, the, the amazing thing about this that i just realized when you said this is one of the few sources where it's it's humanity addressing god Nevertheless, it's words from the Quran, which means it's divine speech. So it's God speaking to God through humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's that. Yeah. That's beautiful. mustaqim. <clears throat> and I would imagine, I know mustaqim is straight. That's right. Guide us in the right or straight path. Yashar in Hebrew. The Guide us in paths of uh, uh, righteousness is how it usually gets translated, even though it means upright or uh, directly straight. Yeah. Shar. Shar or Isha? Did you say Shar? Yeah, Shar. Yeah, Shar. And then? Sarata Ladina Ananta Alehim. The path of those. Whom you blessed. Is that what it means? Yes. Yeah. And then? Gairil Magdu Bialehim Waladolin. Not of those who have deserved wrath, nor of those who have strayed. Right, and, that, and that this is interesting that y some translations make this, make this about those who are make it in the negative and some make it in the positive. And actually, I think Yusuf Ali also does it in the positive. I can't, can't remember one of the, the famous translators. But mm -hmm. um, the, 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 you, know, you can see it in two ways. You can see it as you know, that 
so that it's not a division, but it's uh, it's you know it's inclusive in this <coughs> translation and in some of the other ones, as some. opposed to the um, some people say actually <coughs> that one of them the path of those who are. Um, Where's the, where's the? Are you gonna one? say the horrible oh. thing that they say about this? Yes, <laughs> those, I was going to. Those, those <laughs> don't tell them. Oh, those sorry. who deserved wrath, or the, well, nor of those who they, they, some commentators in less open and wonderful times um, identified those as the other traditions, the other Abrahamic traditions. Those who right. have provoked God's wrath are the Jews, and those who have gone astray are the Christians. <laughs> That's, that was one traditional commentary. Yes. That, you know, that right. was, yeah. and so even we're not going to whitewash Sometimes this. in like horrible Saudi-based <laughs> yes. translations, they'll put that in brackets. Those who, who bring yeah. God's wrath, the Jews, and the Christians. And if you don't know what you're reading, you think that's actually... Part well, of the holy text. It was all tit for tat in the Middle Ages, right? Uh, the Jews have their prayers that say you have not given us a destiny like all those other peoples, but have given us, you know, and it's like modern, we modern, modern religious people have to either revise those texts or reinterpret them. Right, because the text doesn't actually say that. That's all projection. <laughs> And, and and this is an this is an equally according to at least the person who translated it, who, who I've heard speak about this this is actually a, this is as at least a as um, accurate a translation as the other the other way the the way right. of separating the inclusive is is inherent in the Arabic. So having let me say something. So having um, established that reading what I would call more pedestrian translations of classical prayers, like you read, who's ever opened a Jew here, opened a prayer book, and what am I saying here when you read it in English? Because it's not a translation that has attempted to capture the spiritual intent of the prayer. And hold on a second, Rebecca. And so uh, having acknowledged the difficulties of translation, we call this class the mystical heart of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. So we're not here to critique how bad a prayer this is at all. No, I'm saying, but that's often our default. Like, ugh, when I read, you know, some, when I read, when I read, sort of old-fashioned translations. Uh, um, uh, but rather to learn about, from the mystical and spiritual perspective, what this is trying to uplift in a praying Muslim. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. I just want to say that I'm glad that you said what you said because it's very helpful for me to know that I mean, just in terms of understanding the um, division, the divisiveness, where it comes from. Right. What these the these interpretations have been projected onto the text and then become sort of canonical or normative readings, even I mean, though it's... I'm coming from a place of, of oneness, but if I don't understand where things got went astray, <coughs> it's hard for me to understand the situation. Mm -hmm. So I find that helpful. Mm -hmm. Great. Karuna, is it also possible that this, this can be translated in such a way that the anger is God's anger, or that the anger is the anger within us, those of us who who are filled with wrath versus those of us 
You, you know what I'm saying? The translation I, I, can make I, it I, God's so angry now, at you or you yeah. are one consumed by anger. Yeah, that's what yes, so Karuna, yes. now I'd like to suggest you read this translation by this spiritual teacher. Uh, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen that interpreted that way. Yeah. But yeah, brought down by, by anger. anger. Yeah. We begin in the name of God, everlasting <clears throat> mercy, infinite compassion. Praise be to God, loving Lord of all the worlds. Everlasting mercy infinite compassion, eternal strength of every living being, whose majestic power embraces us on the day of the great return. Only you do we adore, and to you alone do we cry for help. Guide us, O God, on the path of perfect harmony, the path of those whom you have blessed with the gifts of peace, joy, serenity, and delight the path of those who are not brought down by anger, <coughs> the path of those who are not lost along the way. Amen. So be it. So Imam Bilal, how do you pronounce his last name? Hyde. Hyde. A Scotchman. A Scotsman, a Scotsman, okay. Bilal Hyde, a Scotsman, when he prays these words, he's tried to express in English what he means. It's an incant... It's Not what he means, what the Arabic means. Um, I, I ascribe more to human uh, uh, interpretation than you do in this case, because the Arabic can be interpreted either way, just like any language. And the challenge is to uh, is not to get caught up in pedestrian literal. Right. He's going for and dynamic equivalency where you're drawing right, out right. meanings that are. That's why I said poetry as a positive, mm -hmm. not as a not as a something to diminish its value, but as the only way to understand a prayer is from the place where poet, poems come from. That's what I mean. For me, the prayer book, and I've said this many times is a collection of poetry, sacred poetry. Mm. And uh, so it invites our investment in it. It doesn't sit there as some kind of instruction manual. That's not its purpose. Uh, so, Jay, what did you want to share? Uh, if, if, if we could just, um, for a moment, if you don't mind, talk about this being brought down by anger. <coughs> the word anger could be replaced by a lot of words, but the word anger was chosen. It could be brought down by fear, brought down by jealousy, brought down by pride, brought down by numerous negative adjectives. Yet, it's, we use the word anger. And this reminds me of a very personal story in which I have a friend who, who's getting an operation on cancer this Thursday. And I spoke to him on the phone, and his biggest emotion was anger. He was being brought down by anger. Mm. So, um, um, Anger is an interesting emotion. Uh, there's more powerful emotions, I think. Fear, I think, overrides. Anger, I think. So, um, I guess the question is, of all the adjectives, of all the descriptors that could have been chosen, is anger, does anger have any, any, um, uh, any meaning um, in context of other words that could Wow. Well, the last, the last, the last comment of God to Jonah comes to mind, where God, Jonah said, 
why don't you bring judgment on them? I came and prophesied, do it. And God says to Jonah, is anger better for you, Jonah? These are my creatures. Should I not have compassion on them? So it would occur to me, having that line from Jonah coming, that anger might be the, 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 the opposite of compassion uh, in this case. And this may be helpful to think So that, that, is my, that is not my definitive response, that is my gut response to what you said. There, there's, it says those brought down by anger. There, there are also expressions of anger that do not bring you down. You can channel anger in ways that do not bring you down, but ways that are productive and transformative. Um, so anger isn't inherently negative. It's an energy. You can use that energy in ways that are destructive or constructive. Um, so this is talking about ways that are destructive. Well, I mailed this friend a book, actually, just on Amazon just two days ago, from this Buddhist, I'm not sure you know him, uh, Thich Han. Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Vietnam guy. He actually has a book on Amazon, and I, and I sent it to him. But in, in his book, anger has no positive connotation. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Karina or, or Rabia, do you want to respond to Jay's comment in any way? Um, I, I, I've, I don't think I've seen any other translation of, um, I think it's, is it Gairil or Il Magdubi? I'm not sure which Magdubi is the word that's for anger. I, 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 uh, I don't know where he's seeing anger there. I don't, I don't, oh, don't know I mean, where the anger usually, is. It's usually translated. I mean, what's it's anger the, or wrath. Wrath, yes. Wrath. Wrath, yeah. 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 Which is one of the divine attributes, right. one of the powerful names of God. Yeah. But I, I, so I don't, I don't, I've never seen any other, there's no other, uh, it's not, I've never seen any translation that uses another emotion. It's either wrath or anger, which... I like the idea that, it, that, that it's the opposite of compassion. That's well, that's what popped in my head, because I was thinking about what God says to Jonah. Yeah. Uh, Jonah, and then, would you remember your name? Zakia, I almost remembered. Two things very quickly. First of all, most of my work in, in, in literature is about the fear of poetry and, and releasing ourselves from it because poetics at its very base is a generosity toward interpreting the meaning of words. And all the other oh, What a nice definition. Mm -hmm. yes. Poetry is a generosity for interpreting the meaning of words. Oh, I like it. And that, that's poetics. That is what poetics is. So uh, all the rest of it, the forms, the rhymes, and everything else that, that daunt people and, and cause fear of this, you know, having to invest meaning in, uh, of someone else's or understand someone else's, let go of it, please, for the moment. Because poetics is your investment in making meaning. That's all it is. Thank you. So um, secondly, um, fear and anger are kind of twins and I want to say that they're highly motivating forces. So when this expression is about bringing down, I think it's about how anger can cause a, a lower response, but it can also motivate positive response. So I want to depressurize the word anger and say that it can be a highly motivating, the, the, the lowest form of human emotion is apathy. And the very high form is anger because it can motivate action and change. So I, I just want to push us in some positive direction. Oh, interesting. Thank you for those comments. Zakia? Yeah, I'm having a hard time embracing those two lines, the path of those who are not brought down by anger, the path of those who are not lost along the way, because where are they 
in the umbrella of mercy and compassion, you know, because you're, you're already saying <coughs> you, all merciful and compassionate, when that, when that mercy and compassion sh also showers on the angry, <coughs> also showers on the ones that have lost their way, and so it's kind of like taking a stance of <coughs> protect us from all this, we don't want to, I don't want to be with those, we don't want to be with those, mm -hmm. but, but the compassionate umbrella, the sky, includes all those beings. And do you hear that excluded in this passage? I do. Yeah, you do. I do. There, there's another line in the front where God says that my, my mercy encompasses all things. My mercy encompasses all things, and also that my mercy precedes my wrath. And so there's, it seems to me that even this, that there's a path of people who, who fall away of fragmentation and anger and division, <coughs> do not guide us into that way of fragmentation, and yet those people are also held in the, the Rahmet. The yeah, it doesn't say that they're excluded from compassion and mercy. It just says those people who are praying don't want to fall into those emotional states. Right, that, so it's not talking about them. It's talking about, I don't want to fall there. Yeah. That would be another way of, of reading it. Rather than saying, I want to be in this good in-group, not in those, all those failures out there. It, yeah. That's one way to read it, because yeah. there are many psalms that express that. Yeah. Right? The book of Psalms says, Do not, please don't make me walk in the path of the crooked. And the, I want to, you know, there's so many psalms like that. May, they, may, their, may my enemies be destroyed. It's like, so on one level, it's an us and them prayer, unless you find your own way underneath it yeah. to a prayer of, I don't want to go to that state of being. Yeah. And that's how, that, otherwise I can't pray it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you yeah, understand what I'm I, saying? I totally understand. I think for me, just in terms of being able to embody that prayer, it would make more sense if it was, let me be that compassion and mercy. Mm. Do you let me embody mm -hmm. those traits mm -hmm. rather than, I don't want to be with these folks. So then I want to ask a question. Oh, oh you go first, Sorbia. I just wanted to add one. one <coughs> whoa, oh, that's really loud. It's working um, well. I just wanted to add one. Um, I think it's sometimes when we're looking at the Quran, we have to keep one part of our mind in the context of these desert-dwelling people in the Arabian Peninsula and how their lives were really like very nuts and bolts. It was like about survival. And most translations that I've heard of this line is, um, do not let me be like one of those who wanders from the straight path. What is the straight path? The straight path is the shar. What is the shar? The shar is the well-worn path leading to the wells. These are desert-dwelling people, and they, were, they had oral traditions. Where are the wells? The wells, the wellsprings, where the water is. And the shar, the sharia, is the well-worn path to, leading to the wells, the life-giving wells, the water. So it's actually like very nuts and bolts. It's like, wow. do not let me stray from the straight path. And like for us, it's like straight path, like I don't know what that means, like you can get like really lost in your head. But for them, it was like very clear. Oh, beautiful. And do not let me be overcome by anger. Yeah. How about Psalm 23 then? That's you, the same thing. Yeah, you lead me beside the still waters, you lay me down in the, in the green pastures, uh, help me walk on the straight paths to right, yeah. Yeah, it's the same image of uh, 
yeah. uh, shepherding people. A, absolutely, absolutely. I forgot what portion in the Torah says, don't divert to the right or to the left, but stay on the path. There's a, a direct quotation from Torah. Yes. And I've forgotten Deuteronomy. the citation. Yeah. I don't remember which chapter. <laughs> I'll give you the book. That's about as far as I get. Oh. <laughs> okay, so so now I have a question for for all of you, because Matthew, you're familiar with this prayer too. When you invest yourself in it, what is your experience? Seventeen times a day, if you're being really, really thorough, I am not a regimented prayer, I have to tell you. I do my best. But, so here it is. It's sort of the mantra of um, Islam. Talk about it a little from the inside. Do, do you know what I'm asking? Especially in the silent repetitions, uh, often for me it's, it's almost the words fall away. The words fall away. Um, it's, a, it's an experience like our Rahman, our Rahim, is just experiencing. When I'm you know, truly um, uh, deeply in, um, you know, when I'm not, if in one of the, I don't want to give you the impression that it's always like this, but you know, just, uh, it's almost like there's a physical flow of um, mercy and compassion um, flowing towards me. And then this this beautiful turn of uh, you know just of longing iyak and nabudu iyak and asayin and and then I find myself sometimes like straightening on idinasarat al mustaqim you know that um, I mean it's a it's almost like a, a, a subtle inner movement in and of itself that you know the words just dissolve in a sense beautiful. Just like I want to hear from them, and then I'm going to ask. I want to ask both Christian prayers and Jewish prayers, and any other traditional prayers in this room. Um, uh, in other words, people who want to, who have in their own efforts gone at it from the inside rather than the outside. What our experience is, because the words don't matter so much. It turns out um, they're a vehicle towards something. Um, when you ask that question about what does it feel like, or you know, I, what the image that came to mind for me is this story of this Andalusian Sufi. Um, like I think she was like living in like twelfth century or something. And um, there's many stories about her that um, were recorded by Ibn al-Arabi, um, where she would recite the Fatiha, and then people would actually see the Fatiha raise up like a being. And go out and and perform her commands. Um, like the prayer would take form, and in my experience, that's really what it feels like to chant this prayer. I don't chant it lightly. It's like a very strong prayer, and I feel like it's you know it's it's it. it, it many people say it contains the entire Quran in just this one prayer. So it really has it takes form. And if you use it in that way, like we use it a lot in our in our Sufi order for people who need healing, um, so we'll recite it for people. We have a, a an email list that goes out, and people can ask for Fatiha prayers to be recited for them. And that's my experience. It it 
takes form and it does its its mm -hmm. wonder in, in creation. Thank you. Matthew, would you talk about your experience with yeah. this or with prayer? With prayer? I, I can say a word about this prayer. And I, I typically pray this prayer daily, and I typically pray the Lord's Prayer daily, or the Our Father of Jesus. And the difference between the two is that when I pray the Lord's Prayer, it's always an English translation. And so the meaning is sort of locked into an English translation, whereas the Arabic, when it's prayed, because you're not locked into one translation. The different resonances can all be present or it can shift each time it's prayed. Oh, wow. um, and so I think there is something powerful about praying in Hebrew or Arabic because you can bring all those different meanings in at the same time. Um, so, yeah. Um, and, and at the same time, even praying the Lord's Prayer in English regularly, different resonances will come through those words each time that it's prayed. But I think it's even more freeing to pray in a language that isn't your primary language. Oh, isn't that interesting? And to, at the same time, know a variety of translations. So it's all sort of present <laughs> simultaneously. Oh, yeah. interesting. Do you ever pray the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic? I've never prayed the Lord's Prayer regularly in Aramaic. I've heard Aramaic translations, which the truth there is that to pray it in Aramaic is to get closer to something like the language Jesus prayed. But... The Aramaic of the Lord's Prayer that we have is a translation from the Greek, which is a translation from the Aramaic. <laughs> oh, really? Because Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic, then the versions that we have recorded are in the Greek Gospels. And then the Peshitta text, which is the traditional Aramaic translation of the Greek. Uh, you mean it got translated back from the Greek yeah, into Aramaic? into Aramaic. When did that happen? Well... Aramaic-speaking Christians very early on oh, translated right. the Gospels for their communities. Back and so it actually Testament. put the Gospels back into the language of Jesus. So, but it's sort of still once removed. So, but, but knowing Hebrew, we can make some... And having the, having the fact that Talmudic language is still alive. So, our Father who art in heaven... It's, it's, uh, is it's Abun de Bashamaya. Right, or Aramaic. in Hebrew, Avinu Shabashamayim. Right. Avinu Shabashamayim, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Baruch Kadosh Shemo. Barbara, do you remember the Aramaic translation? No. Okay. But when I hear the Lord's Prayer, I immediately know all the phrases from all right. over the prayer book right. that are almost exactly like it. It's wow. fascinating. So, and that prayer forms the heart of the, the daily office. So in Christian rhythmic prayer, they're usually four to seven or eight times a day. In monastic communities, it's more. Um, for your average Christian, it's usually two set times a day if you're following the tradition, up to maybe four times a day. And at the center of each of those times that you stop and pray, you always have the Lord's Prayer at the center of the, the offering, um, in wow. the same way that the Fatiha is at the center of the, the offering in Islam. Uh, would you mind reciting it? Yeah, so it's um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. 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 So, uh, Karen. Oh, and then Joan, and then Karen. I just want to make sure. So that that prayer actually.
actually comes out of the gospel? It's, it's recorded in two places, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And the disciples say to Jesus, teach us, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray with these intentions or pray in this way. And then he recites this. Um, there's a shorter version in Luke's Gospel um, that is... Um, let me think if I can remember the lines. It's much more compact, and Matthew seems to be more, a little more flourishes in it. It's something like, um, our Father, not in heaven, just our Father, Abba, God, your, your name is holy, um, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Um, I don't remember, maybe it's your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today the bread that we need. Forgive us as we forgive others. And I think that's it. It's like very simple. Like you know. When I was um, doing uh, clinical pastoral education um, as part of my uh, Masters of Divinity, um, I, said the, I said the Lord's Prayer way more than I ever chanted any Arabic or Sufi prayer. And there was one version if I was talking to Catholic patients, yes. and oh. one version if I was talking to Protestant patients. They left the Catholics left off a couple of lines. Oh, okay. Okay. right. Italy? The very end, the yes. little flourish at the end for that, thine is the kingdom and the yes, power and the glory is in the Roman Catholic liturgy traditionally said by the priests, the not priests. the people. So oh, okay. Right, and there's a prayer often in between. Um, wow. One other thing, the word for sins, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, sometimes it's translated our debts. Uh, and in Luke's version, it seems to reference actual economic debt. And so there's a, a read of this that says this was part of Jesus, uh, one, uplifting the practice of jubileeing, forgiving debts, but that in the, the social economic reality he lived in, you had, again, you know, the 1% and the 99% people were held in adverse conditions by their debts. And so Jesus was actually calling people in this new community, in this new model that he's offering, which is an ancient model, mm -hmm. to forgive their debts, to release people from debts, and for them to be released from debts, you know, sort of. Yeah. Uh-huh, and perhaps also he meant it both spiritual, spiritual and, and economic. Right. Joan, you wanted to share, and then uh, Pauline, and then uh, a hand in the back. I'd like to free us once more from the tyranny of words just by saying that everything, all communication, all languages are a translation from emotion and the heart. And, and, and That's heart. right. Exactly. So from our hearts uh, emanate a desire to commune, and then we fall into the trap of using words as our communication, and they can be beautiful. I made you know, my, my heart around uh, poetics and, and doing it uh, Justice, That's right. but I want to say that on the very basis level, uh, our communications originate wordlessly, and we mustn't fall too deeply into the pit of making words um, a barrier or making you know relying on them solely. That's right. That's why it was good to for Corona to demonstrate the prayer, and we experienced it. Those of us who were here, and it wasn't about the words. Mm -hmm. And, right, and, and that is very true, Joan. And so, lastly, just that that when we then try to move from one language to another, our 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 chore is to work with the 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 intentions and origins of the feelings of the people who are communicating, and recognize where we find 
Yes, I've been, I've been, moving, oh, sorry. We're just not even moving only from language to language, but from time period to time period, from culture to culture. And one of the things that's helpful that I've been told with the Lord's Prayer is that we often read Jesus when he says he taught them to pray in this way. We read that as repeat after me. And he gave them a formula, a magical formula. Well, this way. And, right. Right. This way. This way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that actually what he was saying was pray with these longings, pray with these intentions, not with these literal words, but with these motivations. Um, and right. that, that breaks it again out of right. the words. And again, here we are as human beings with the gift of language, which also becomes a barrier. And so we just have to do this dance forever. And that's why I choose to talk about poetry often when we're talking about the spiritual language. Because uh, even though some language will yield to an instruction book that will allow us to figure out how to assemble the uh, furniture, um, that's, this, is, this, is, this is a task that precedes language, underpins it. And so language can get us so far, but can't be the goal. Pauline? Yeah, what I wanted to say, um, two things. First of all, prayer, prayer is different than, than just language, I think, or poetics. And when you talk about what, what you take inside, what I internally take inside, um, you know, I was thinking about, as Jews, when we say the Shema three times a day, and for people that say it three times a day, but even for people that don't, it's a prayer they know. And there are, there are three levels of this that, number one, praying in a sacred language, I think, brings you to a different place. No matter what the translations are, whether it's Latin, <coughs> Aramaic, Sufi, whatever Arabic, there is something about your brain not going to that right brain the stuff that begins to analyze down words. So that's number one, the, um, the potency of having a holy tongue, a mother tongue that you don't use every day, that's used mm -hmm. specifically for prayer. Mm -hmm. The second thing is repetition. Mm -hmm. That as you repeat the Shema, as you repeat other prayers in Judaism, as you repeat this prayer 17 times a day, the repetition begins to become, I think, an embodiment on um, many levels, emotional, spiritual, mystical, psychological, all of those, when we are just, <coughs> as the words begin to dissolve and melt into us, and that in, in Judaism, um, often you see like Hasidic, prayers, or very orthodox prayers, that know the words by heart and literally do it three times a day. And sometimes I say to myself, they don't even know what the hell they're saying. <laughs> and they probably maybe do not know what the hell they're saying, but even those that do not are praying something very deep and important. <clears throat> and then, so besides that repetition, that, that becoming completely immersed in it, the other thing that we have that you talked about in different words in Judaism is kavanah. And the Hasidic movement became very aware of how intention is such an integral part of 
Judaism. And there's a difference between, I'm praying in Judaism, there's a difference between explaining a prayer to someone and having an intention before you say the prayer. And there are many discussions in the Talmud. Can, can you pray without intention? Does it have the same merit? Um, if you had intention but didn't know the whole prayer, does that have the merit? So, and, and Pauline, the Jewish answer to that over and over is no. Yes, no. So the no, intention, same, same thing in Arabic. They yeah. say that people debate about this all the time. Right. If so you the, say the prayers in English, does that negate it and all this? Or stuff. if you don't make the intention before you yeah, offer the prayer. Or if you prayer. don't do your niyyah before you say the prayer. If you are done. <laughs> yeah, or, or how do you bring yourself, whatever it is, on any level or basis or context, so that when you are in the mode of praying, you're, you're already into, and that's not something you can just say, by this should be your intention. This is something that needs to develop over time and practice. Practicing praying is an important <coughs> aspect of being able to do these things in this way. Prayer is one of the modalities for spiritual <coughs> growth, for attuning to the higher level. Daisy, was it your hand that was up? Yeah, earlier. Do you want to share? No, I have one question. Please ask. Um, now, the language of the, the everyday language at the time of Jesus in that part of the world was Aramaic. So didn't you pray in Hebrew? Jews prayed in both Hebrew and in Aramaic. Um, some of the prayers from the first century are in Hebrew, but others are in Aramaic. And the reason they're in Aramaic is because that was the vernacular. That was what they knew. Like so, a dialect almost. It, right, but it was, it was what, it was what, it, it was the vernacular. So, yes, many prayers have also been written in Yiddish. When, in, uh, do you want to add to what I'm saying? Yes, I just wanted to say that also... Talk a little louder, Lenore. I'm sorry, I also, I'm not a little... Okay. As you can repeat, Greek was also spoken koine, which, come read koine language, whatever, it was a... Um, Demonic, it wasn't, you know, um, highfalutin kind of, you know, right. Greek. And Jews would, particularly learned Jews, would have spoken Greek and participated in aspects of Greek culture. Absolutely. And they were using the Septuagint translation of the Hebrew scriptures, which was Greek. So they were even reading right. and studying so the Hebrew Greek, scriptures in Greek. Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew were all languages known to Jews in, at that time. Uh, uh, there are over a thousand, I believe, <coughs> Greek loanwords that came into Hebrew during that period of time, such as afikomen. <laughs> you know, there, these are Greek, there's so many Greek words, just like now when you go to Israel, because English is everywhere, you hear weekend. <laughs> you know, so it, weekend, right, is a Hebrew word, except they don't have a W, so it's the weekend. Um, anyway. Anyway, uh, the point I was making, the, the point I was making is that um, uh, some of the prayers were specifically in the vernacular because the rabbinic leaders wanted the praying community to know what they were saying at times also. The most famous prayer that's in the vernacular is the Kaddish, right? It's not in Hebrew, it's in Aramaic. They're very close cousins, but... Um, uh, and, and the Kaddish, even more than the Shema in a certain way, is the, is the prayer that gets repeated over, there's, I'd say there's two, there's the Shema, here Israel, Adonai, God, Adonai is one, 
and you shall love Adonai your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And you shall speak of these words when you sit in their house, when you walk on the way, you shall teach it to your children, you shall put it on the doorpost of your house, you shall put it on between your eyes and on your arm. What? What words? To love uh, the source of life, your God, with all your heart and soul and might. That's, that's the core mm-hmm. prayer uh, recited uh, in morning, at night, and even at bedtime in the Jewish tradition. Then the Kaddish is the prayer that's used as, a, as a Michael learned from someone as a palate cleanser, a punctuation mark between every, over and over in the day. It's not just a mourner's prayer. It's repeated over and over. And it will be when you study the Kaddish, and we should probably, I should have brought that in, um, but uh, to show you, because it's so much like this prayer. It's like, Yitkadal uh, may the great name be blessed and magnified, sanctified and magnified. Uh, it means and magnified, exalted, fabulous, amazing, adorable, fantastic, beautiful. In fact, it goes on above any words that we can muster is the glory and magnificence of the one creator, right? And then you say, and may there be peace come down on us from the heavenly realms, on us and on all of Israel, and we say, Amen. And the Kaddish is an amazing prayer. And it happens to be in Aramaic, which is why I wanted to bring it in now. Uh, But the similarities are strong. They're really strong. Uh, Matthew, you want to say something? Well, I I actually wanted to try to shift it back and ask uh, Kruna and Rabia if they would talk a little bit about the physical postures of the prayer and hear from people about their experience of witnessing the prayer. But you, you, It's a quickie. Yeah. Could you repeat, please, the, the line from the Our Father, the translation that used the word trials? Oh, yeah. So um, lead us, so it's in the, in the more traditional version, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Um, the version that was put forward by, it was a commission to have sort of standard English language translations of the prayers across denominations, and the Roman Catholic Church was uh, largely behind the push to get these new texts out. So the committee that produced that translation ended up as an alternative version of the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. And it translates, lead us not into to temptation, more literally as to save us from the time of trial. Save us from the time of trial. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so you wanted to ask Karuna and Rabia. Well, I know the others had questions. Okay, but I, I, but I also want to shift to towards the, physical the, divine, the physical experience, <laughs> and then we also want to start talking about the divine feminine today. So be brief if you can. Um, well, I just wanted to, to amplify what you said on language. In philosophy, pre-language, you have the concept of an apple. You see the color, you see the shape, you see the size. And once you get language you lose that essence of it, the concept mm-hmm. of it. And it, it seems mm-hmm. to me to relate very much to yes. what you're yes. talking about. We humans are blessed and stuck with language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say that I can relate so directly to this because in the early 70s, I was a school teacher in the West Indies, in Jamaica, and I was told that before every class, we, I was to lead the class in the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. 
Anna said to the principal, excuse me, I'm Jewish. I don't do this. This is not a Jewish thing to do. And he said to me, Mrs. Greenwald, you're not in America anymore. <laughs> um, this is what we do. You took this job. This is your job. You lead the class in the Lord's Prayer. So I learned the Lord's Prayer. And every day for two years, I led the class in the Lord's Prayer. And I was not going to, you know, it's not my country anymore. So after a while, it became not so strange to me, and it began to flow through me so naturally that a morning was not a morning if I didn't begin it with the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> what a great story. <laughs> and, and then it was just, it just flowed through me, and the words didn't matter, it was just the spirit of it, and... I really didn't think of it for all these years, but I do believe that sometimes I say it to myself when I need comforting. That's beautiful. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Just beautiful. Uh, uh, Martha. And of course, before it was a Christian prayer, it was a Jewish prayer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus was a Jew. It, well, it's not. A, it's, it's not a Jewish. It, no, Phyllis. It's it's not a Jewish thing. It's a Christian prayer. Right. But its but origin. Jesus and his initial disciples weren't Christians. They were Jews. But its origin is entirely Jewish. So, which which again brings us to the, to me for me this this sort of um, 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 I've heard the word inflection point recently. This inflection point that we're at right now, or that I'm I should say that I'm at of saying, wait a minute, I guess I just don't want these boundaries anymore. Uh, because they're not, they're not doing any good. These boundaries anymore. That's not my prayer. Right? Um, not that I necessarily have to recite that prayer. I can still recite the ones that, but I'm at a point in my life where it's like, it's time to drop it. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm dropping the integrity of my own beautiful practice, mm -hmm. Judaism. It means that can I carry that forward and not wor worry about, okay? That's much easier said than done. Uh, and I, I fear by saying that, that those who consider people who are trying to preserve their own traditions to be somehow backwards or anti-globalist or in any ways the ways I get judged for just wanting to keep my tradition alive by folks who claim they're universalists and then come down on me, you know, which drives me crazy. Um, uh, at the same time, so I, my dupes go up about that, right? But at the same time, I feel like I'm done with it, uh, with, that, with those particular dukes. And it feels like a very crucial moment, which is why I wanted to invite this conversation into our building. Does that make sense, everybody? The book is Paradigm Shift by Reb Zahavid. I just wanted to say, being human and in a body, you need to have a practice. You need to do something. We speak, whether the apple is red or whatever limits you're going to put on it, you need to have a practice. I used to, years ago, be very devotional about the rosary. The rosary, the yeah. The rosary. And it put me in the same place that I hear you talking about. And it, that place is 
in the presence. Is openness to God. Yeah. Openness to and God. It's a practice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the practice if it puts you there. Yeah. I'm going to take him. <laughs> Just really briefly, I, I, I really, last week at the very end, Karuna led us in Salat. And okay, we got take to it, take it, take see it. and hear that embodied prayer. And I, I, I think because people here for the most part don't speak Arabic, the experience was, was an embodied experience and an oral listening experience. So it was sort of beyond words and concepts. And I wonder if people want to share how the prayer impacted them, what the experience was, and maybe we could hear a little bit from those who pray it regularly. Mm -hmm. I have a very short pedestrian question. The prayer we saw was very beautiful and very physical. Is there accommodation made for people who are not as flexible as you are? Yes. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, and the prayer is equally as valid in whatever way you need to pray it. Right. Um, I know many people can't do the kneeling, and you know, so some people do it sitting. Um, you know, they they you know just go like this, or you know, and then stand up again. However, you need to do it. It doesn't. It it's really what you bring to it in your heart. That's the important thing. And you'll see people in mosques bringing a little stool into the prayer line because they can't get down on their knees anymore, so they join in as they're able. Oh, you know. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, Lester and Amy. Um, excuse me. Um, the prayer <coughs> touched me very deeply, very quickly, because it, you went into such a longing, your prayer, the longing for God was so obvious to me, and the, the way you went into it, I felt as if I, I could just feel your longing. The same thing with the prayer this morning that he did. The beauty of the, of the voice and the, and the transporting of energy, I felt I, I felt as if I was standing in front of the wall, Western Wall, and, and praying at the same time. Or if I was in, it was just a, a, a total humanity experience for me, and I felt such a rush of, of just, I've never seen this before. And the, I was always a believer, you never bow before, you know, when Jew doesn't bow. And this, it, it was so beautiful and so quickly, and the way you brought it out. It was a real gift to me. It really opened my heart. Oh. Thank, Thank you, Lester. God. Amy? Um, I'm actually going to build on what Lester just said, because I, I too experienced that, that, that same feeling. And then, I, and then the kind of the practical side of me thought, how, how can you sustain this five times a, a day, and how do you keep the world from kind of getting in the way of, of, of experiencing that so on such a regular basis. It's, um, at, well, it's interesting. Um, first of all, this prayer, what is generally done in a cultural context where it is normal to break for prayer. So um, Imam Belohai, the man who translated that and who teaches the prayer, um, he says, if you can do this, you know, it, it's really a big deal. I mean, if you, so there, there are different ways of accommodating it. Um, 
some I know people who if they miss prayers and because of the way our society is structured, we can't always stop for prayer. Um, they'll do them all at the end of the day, or they'll um, it's if you want to get into the whole Talmudic type thing, the the, the it's legal to com legal to combine the noon prayer and the afternoon prayer and the evening prayer and the night prayer. And some people even say that the night prayers at night as you can. I mean, there's different schools. So I think the answer is just you do the best you can. I don't, I can't say I do all 17 cuts every day. It's just sometimes it's just not possible. I, I try. Um, and I, have, I go in and out of periods where it's easier. Um, I just had a two-week vacation. It's much easier. I didn't have to go to work or didn't have to. So you, and again, I think it's just your longing for God and your your intention is the most important thing, and not the you know it's not like a who's keeping count. Um, but there is something really powerful in, in the times when I've managed to pray five times a day or three times a day and do all the cycles. It's like, to stop, you know, and acknowledge the divine in the midst of our crazy lives is just so um, refreshing. So the cultures where the bell rings and everyone, it, it must be so much, so affirming. To have well, like when, when we go to Israel, you've heard it before, you'll hear them ways in. Yeah. You'll hear the the, minor, the voice from the minaret saying it's time to stop. Right. And it's acceptable yeah. in those cultures to stop work, work. to stop. Yeah, right. Some people, uh, you see people doing it on the streets. You see people in their little places, of, in their places of business, have a little corner. It's it's a it's a cultural um, norm. It's norm normal for us. It's much more disturbing. I know, Rabia, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, um, it's interesting because coming from the context of a Sufi order, of course I always have like a little bit of a slightly different experience than sort of mainstream Muslims. So um, something that I've always heard my sheikh talk about is that um, if you're speaking, if you're in divine conversation, sohbet, like spiritual conversation, that you should not stop to do salat. So even, or you're doing zikr, which is the remembrance of God, and the muezzin calls for the prayer, you don't stop the zikr, you continue. So, I mean, there's different levels of, of understanding, and certainly also in our order we have um, permission to, you know, if you're in a car, you can just do your prayers, you know, sort of sitting in, in your seat. If you're in public and you don't want to be obvious about it you can do your prayers just like kind of like you know closing your eyes and just doing your salah and not even moving that's that's these are permissions that we I think received. Muhammad did it on a camel <laughs> yeah and there were times you know in the prophet's life when you know it was dangerous for them to say the prayer audibly so that's why the prayer is quiet and you know so it's, there's all different um sort of things to draw on with this practice, and I'm certainly not not rigid at all with my own practice, so I'm not going to be rigid with anybody else. Thanks. There is a saying of, from the Prophet Muhammad where someone comes to him and says, Oh, Rasulullah, this religion you've brought, it's so vast, it's an ocean, there's so many things, you know, how, 
how much do we really have to do? <laughs> how much of it, how much? Yeah, really. And, and, and he responds, as much as you can do with, with constancy, uh, that you can yeah. be consistent, as much as you can be consistent in, you know, oh, that it's important to actually create a rhythm and to not be constantly guilting yourself. Yeah, and it shouldn't be oppressive, right? right. Didn't he say? Right. I forget the, the exact word. But uh, well, yeah. the rabbinic take on that is, um, <laughs> one thing is, do little or do much as long as the heart is directed toward heaven. That's a classic rabbinic saying. But also, Rabbi Akiva of the second century, who is considered to be kind of the... Um, somebody needs to get you, Bob? Um, can you, do you know how to turn the ringer off? Um, the uh, Rabbi Akiva, who's kind of like the crazy spiritual spiritual master of the second century, it says of Rabbi Akiva that in his personal devotions every day, he would genuflect so many times that you would, uh, uh, see, if you came in at the beginning of his prayer, he'd be in one part of the room, and if you came in at the end, he'd be in the other corner of the room. In other words, just however, when he led the congregation, he would shorten his prayers for the sake of the community. Mm. Do you follow? It's such a beautiful teaching. In other words, he wasn't going to impose his like passionate, devotional, like he was with God all the time, as far as I can tell. I mean, the story about Akiva is that when he died, he being tortured by the Romans, he died with the, 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 the God is one on his lips, you know, with a smile on his face. So that's Akiva, right? But Akiva also, it says, would not impose that on the community, because he, they weren't able to sustain that. So it's similar to what you were, what you were saying about the Muhammad quote. Zakia, and then Jay. So I had a different experience in regards to watching Karuna pray and, um, and Matthew, in that I almost felt like I had to avert my eyes because it was so intimate and so powerful and so deep that I felt like I shouldn't be watching. Mm -hmm. And so as much as prayer is so universal, I felt almost ashamed to watch, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of averted my eyes, but, but was open to taking in what was emanating from that place coming towards here. That's expressed so clearly, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, universal but totally intimate. Yeah. That is a great definition of our relationship, one's relationship with God, right? And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Jay? If I could just take it from another angle. Power okay, but I want you to be responding to your experience of the prayer. Right, right, which was, uh, and I am. Okay. <laughs> no, I am, but I'm taking it from a different angle. Yes. More or less parallel, not to contradict what was just said. But there are loads of research data and, and um, books on the neuroscience of the impact of calming the mind and getting it in the moment. And even the poets write about it, the, the philosophers write about it, the Buddhists write about it. So if we could quiet the mind and get it in that space, it, has, it does help open our hearts. And watching that prayer did have that same, you know, how could you not, see, you know, you see Matthew and the prayer on their knees, how could you not get into that 
just clear the mind, no regrets of the past, no anxieties of the future, but it brings you right at the moment, and that opens the heart. Beautifully expressed, Jay. Thank you. There's data on this whole whole situation. There's even data on it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I know. I've read. I've read the data, and I'm so happy there's data on it. Really, it's like because it does validate our experience. It had a tremendous impact. I wish I could have videoed it and just take it home so my mind. I call it the monkey out of the cage. I got it. Got it. I'm so glad. Something like this brings prayer porn. <laughs> I'm very glad that nobody videoed. I hope no one videoed. Well, actually, we have a policy not to video our services because prayer is so intimate for some people in our community that uh, they they really they it makes them terribly uncomfortable to think that someone might be recording them doing that. So so uh, that's why we don't video in our services. Yeah, or or photograph. Uh, Joan, and then I think we're ready to shift over to our second topic. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do, I really do. I hope we can address uh, or, or, or see somehow that, that physicality. Um, I, I just want to say how wonderful it is when we can physicalize our prayer, and I look forward every year to that moment when we do the great Alenu, and, and, and I get to step out in the aisle and right. actually kneel, if, no matter how much. Yeah, in the Jewish tradition, full prostration fell away. Uh, except it was retained on the high holidays. And that's the one time a year in most Jewish communities when you fully prostrate in prayer. I was just going to say that my compliments to the Islamic practices, as well as I might, you know, in a limited way understand them, has to do with how in the prayer there also is a circumstance where you cradle the ears, you touch the, 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 the various senses, and you're physicalizing how total your embrace is of taking in that divine and connecting to the divine. Um, the only moment we have in the prayer that, that, that seems to hark back to that is Sifa Taitiftach, when we say before we pray, open my lips, and we're alluding to the physicality that we're in a Joan, actually, there's many more. There's many more, but we're, we have to re-bring them into the light again. Another conversation, yeah. Um, I, I, I actually want to share my experience, which was, you know, I mean, it's not really a performance, and so I, th- there, was a, there was a moment when I just had to, like, forget that you were all in the room, and it, I mean, then that was quite powerful. Um, because I, I've never I've never done that before. I've never led prayer in a public setting, and you know it would have. <laughs> I, I think it would have. Um, I mean, it was. I'm glad that people experienced it in 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 a you know a positive way. But it was. I don't know, it felt in a way like stepping out on a ledge. Mm-hmm. I bet it did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, And then some, you know, Allah, you know, sort of <laughs> took over. But, but it, it was a, it just was a, a, an odd and interesting experience to, How to, interesting. to, you know, be praying in a room full of people watching you and, 
I guess maybe one of the reasons like didn't feel totally uncomfortable, well, partly I had I had a friend praying with me, but also I felt that people, you know, somehow behind me were praying with me in in their own way, and Thank I guess I, I I think I just want to say that that has been, I think the fact that I could do that says a lot about the incredible openness and thoughtfulness and um, love that has been happening in this class. And I just want to really appreciate mm. all, the, all of you. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. I think it's worth, I'll, I'll call you in a sec. I just want to share something. So, you know, obviously I, I pray as my job in front of, with a group of people. And, um, but the only way it works is if I'm doing it for God. Right. You know, that's the only way it works. Mm -hmm. Then people can ride on my intention. Um, but you're also praying, you're not, you, I mean, you may be leading prayer, but you're not praying, it, it, you're, not, you're praying with people who are praying along with you. Um, uh, it depends on the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I have to, I, I have to, I have to, yeah, yeah, I, I, and I have to drop any internal judgments I about have in order to do this successfully of myself and about everybody else in the room. So it's the same idea of, it, so you successfully led us in prayer is what I mean to say. Thank you. And so it was your first time doing it and you did it with such power. Uh, and that's what I wanted to express because it's, it's, that's what it's about. Um, and the, the leader can become a performer in a way where they forget why they're there. And then it doesn't, in the Jewish stories, uh, the Baal Shem Tov will say, uh, they're all praying on the high holidays, and then the little boy who's illiterate takes his flute out in the back of the room and blasts a note, and everyone turns and looks at him and he says, no, thank him, because your prayers were just butting against the ceiling until he let his prayer go and all yours got to go out of the building. You know, that's a typical Hasidic story. Can I you? Yeah, um, the part that I loved and had heard of before was the turning to the left and the turning to the right. Um, so it's in those moments, what is in your heart and mind when you are turning to the left and turning to the right? The way I heard it, um, it was sending out prayers to everybody on either side. And ever since I heard that, I feel very included in the prayers of the Muslim. And it's turned my heart. So when you did it, it was a resonance for me. So that was, um, but I am, what, of this prayer, what prayers are said at that time? What words come in with those two gestures? Or, um, or it's, what you're saying, you're saying, come to prayer. Haya al salah, come to prayer. You're inviting, you're inviting everyone to come to prayer and come to. I, I've seen it translated several ways. Come to success. Come to. You have a better translation. Salvation. Yes. Come to the highest spiritual realization. I think yes. Noor translates it. Yes. Oh, that's nice. Yes, but come to. Um, yeah, I like that. I'm going to use that for now. <laughs> the highest. You know, come to your highest self, your highest mm -hmm. um, endeavor, uh, and then 
And then the greeting at the end of the prayer over the shoulders. Oh yes. Oh, and then oh, is that the, is that what you were talking to? Assalamu. Oh, okay. I was I was talking about the adhan, but there's a place where you go. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. You're greeting the angel on the right and the angel on the left. And, and sometimes, sometimes you and and you're greeting the angels who have come to hear you pray, both the seen and the unseen. Greeting all of the beings, yes. both spiritual, seen and yes. unseen, who have yes. been joined in the prayer. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And the words, assalamu alaikum, uh, peace be with you, and, um, and blessing and mercy. Assalamu alaikum, oh, wa to love. Mercy, wa yeah. <sighs> actually a gift to us um, because it eliminated the other mm. Mm. and we were all given the opportunity to experience wonder mm -hmm. and I, I heard I let go of thought and um, I do a vipassana Talk a little louder, please. And I um, try to stay focused on the breath and um, gather awareness of what's what I'm receiving. And, um, and I was moved to tears. And it, it certainly didn't feel like a performance to me. It didn't feel like it was Muslim or Jewish or anything. It just felt like pure devotion. <coughs> and um, and <coughs> the yearning and longing that you spoke about also. So, um, so, so agree with Dr. Jonathan that um, what you actually did spontaneously was to lead the way. It's another paradox of leadership and of being a human being, which is that somehow you have to let go of your self-consciousness in order to be your most powerful self. It's just ironic that way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I just want to add one, one word on the, the importance of physical embodied gesture and prayer and the way it's a part of every traditional culture and spiritual tradition and so, somehow in the West decorum uh, yes and we've, we've divorced um, I think we've inherited a, a way of thinking about contemplative forms of prayer being somehow kind of higher more mature and so forms like silent seated meditation is the sort of most mature form of spiritual practice and then devotional practices are sort of you know, for maybe the less spiritually involved and conversational prayer with God is like the kindergarten level. Um, 
but in traditional systems, you see all these practices woven together to create a whole, a whole system. So in the West, we receive Buddhism often as just seated meditation practice, whereas in a traditional Buddhist culture, you're going to have prostrations, you're going to have sutra chanting, you're going to have you know, devotional prayers, um, as well as seated meditation. And when all of those, when you're exercising all of those different facets of yourself through these different kinds of prayer, you've got a much more robust diet of prayer. Um, and oh, what with, a nice way of looking at it—a a <laughs> robust diet. And, and I think when the different certain, the different food groups of prayer, it is like, yeah. Yeah, it's like different food groups. Is there an embodied element? Is there a contemplative element? Is there a devotional element? All of those pieces. Um, Mm-hmm. And when one is exercised and the other isn't, that part of your soul gets atrophied. It's not exercised or developed. Um, and physical gestures have accompanying inner openings. You know, to actually move into prostration and touch your head under the floor to feel surrender in an embodied way, to feel that gesture of surrender moving through you. Um, it opens that reality within you. To hold your hands in the air in praise and to you know, look upwards, you can feel in a way the heart opening as, as you open in that gesture. Gestures open something within. Um, so to bring those gestures into our prayer is, is important. Uh, and, and every tradition has those most universal gestures of praise and prostration and bowing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
pulling your faith into your body, you know, in some way, through some kind of physical gesture. And that sign of the cross, it's, it, the Christian contemplative tradition talks about the way we are always living in two dimensions, the, the vertical dimension, um, which is the eternal, you know, outside of time, the divine, and then the horizontal dimension, which is our journey through time, um, through history, and that um, the cross symbolizes the intersection of those two dimensions, those two realities, the, the oh, eternal, the vertical, teaching. and the horizontal, and they intersect, of course, if you superimpose the cross on the human body, the intersection of time and eternity of God and the world is in the heart. Um, and so, uh, Christian mystics talk about, the desert mothers and fathers talk about the work of drawing the mind into the heart, which is the sort of goal of the Christian spiritual journey, and so sometimes that gesture is interpreted that way, that you, you touch the mind, then you draw the mind into heart and body, and then from there out into the world, into the vertical axis, and then it all folds back into the heart. And so it's sort of this, you know, inward, outward kind of journey. Uh, but it's, it, it's used to often just to center yourself, to, to make the intention to pray. So before an act of prayer, you do this to pull yourself into that space. We do it with a lulav. Right. Right, we right, have right, 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 right. Yeah. but uh, Desiree, that was so beautiful, Matthew. Well, yesterday when my husband was affixing a new mezuzah to the back door, he did the sign of the cross, and then he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm sorry, it just felt right, is it okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fine, you can do that. <laughs> but it was part of his... Was, De was Dennis raised Catholic too? Dennis was raised not like I was raised Catholic, but yeah, he was raised Catholic. But I was surprised by it because it just came so naturally to him, which, you know, he's not a, not uh -huh. a religious guy. Uh -huh. But when he was, you know, I, I did the blessing in Hebrew, and he made the sign of the cross. Perfect description of your family. And we have a beautiful mezuzah that oh, my goodness. son gave me. So. Okay. Oh, my. Yeah, it gives you a lot of holidays, that's right. <laughs> the advantage of being a multi-faith family, that's right. <laughs> this is all radical for me, but I'm, read, I'm totally ready now. I'm thinking about how when, how, when I, I was raised in, a, in, in the 1960s in a, uh, a, a very cohesive and coherent American liberal Jewish community, but, you know, we are us, and they're them. You know, I didn't even, I thought St. Bernard's Church was named after a dog across the street. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know. Um, which is a pretty good idea, don't you think? I mean, but anyway, but the, the point I'm trying to make is like, I've traveled a long journey to, to reach this moment, and I'm wondering where it's going to take me next. It's very interesting to me. Uh, Pauline? I, I'd just like to say also along those lines, I know for me, myself as well, I grew up going to yeshiva. And we were told that if you're going down the street, you're walking in front of a church across the across street. street. Oh. Me too. Oh, so, wow. But my journey began early on when I was about, um, I don't know, junior high school or so. Uh, or earlier than that, I was in New York City, and I passed St. Patrick's, 
and I just had to go see what the mystery was, and I was in awe. Then I became a church hopper, but <laughs> but I was thinking so much with this discussion, and I'm so sorry I missed the other Tuesdays. You'll have more chances. I'll have more chances, but. I was thinking of my great teacher, Reb Zalman, may his memory rest in peace, who was yes, <laughs> and believe me, he would appreciate it with so much geschmack. Um, so, you know, and he, he worked so hard to what he talked about as deep ecumenism. And he would say, as he said to the Dalai Lama, that the way you do is you get a group of people together and what you talk about is saying, hey, so how do you get it on with God? And that that's the platform that you go. And I said, I wonder where you could find such a group of people. And here, here, we, are. here we are, sitting. Uh, Matthew introduced, you know? yeah. So I, I am just so blown away because this is not theoretical. Yes, it can work, and I too am one that I have such joy and cherish so my heritage and what I learned, and yes, I absolutely <laughs> cherish the idea of finding ways to get it together and to um, get it on with God and appreciate the way other people get it on with God without diminishing myself. I have no fears. So I thank you. It's fantastic. Bless you, Pauline. Beautiful, beautiful. So Jonathan started to say, I know where he was going, the these two words, interspiritual and interfaith, and the, what we're up to is essentially an interspiritual endeavor. And that's a word that was coined in the late 90s. It didn't exist before then. We only had the word interfaith. And interfaith was about the general dialogue between traditions, people of goodwill who say, you know, let's get to know each other. And it tended to coalesce around... Um, social things and um that kind um yeah well like you know things like an interfaith dinner or a shared we'll build a habitat for humanity house that that kind of work and and it's centered around well what do you believe you tell me what you believe i'll tell you what i believe and we'll figure out how to get along um and so it was a dialogue mostly at the the, the social and the intellectual level or the doctrinal sort of belief system level and the and, good deeds level and the, and the good deeds level right right, right. um Wayne Teasdale, a Roman Catholic monk, he coined this other word, interspiritual, to talk about the dialogue that can happen at the contemplative, experiential, prayerful level between traditions, mm -hmm. uh, where rather than saying, what do you believe, you say, how do you pray? Mm -hmm. And then you say, let me try that with you. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really vulnerable kind of spiritual dialogue where you open up to the practices and experience of another faith, where you actually you know, um, get it on with God in another right. you know, what tradition. A great, so... so uh, and it's a riskier kind of dialogue because it opens up the possibility that you're going to be transformed by another tradition. Um, it opens up the possibility that you might go, oh, maybe I'm being called into this other tradition, or you know, it opens up all those possibilities. Um, but such hope for healing and transformation in the process. Uh, one more comment, and then I want to comment on something Jonathan said to me the other day. He, he said, oh, you got your collar on. What, what, what's that? You got to go to something afterwards? And he said, oh, no, you know, it's like I tell people that it, this shows what team I'm on. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I'm on, I, I'm on this team and you're on that team. And I left and I thought, I really dislike that metaphor. Oh. And I kept, thinking, I kept thinking, what is that about, the, the team? And, and I realized it's a sports metaphor and teams compete with each other. 
And I thought, well, that's sort of an oppositional metaphor, that I don't want to be on a different team. And then, so the metaphor that popped into my head was that it shows which instrument I play. Oh, beautiful. So if it's, if it's one sort of divine symphony, and the Christians are holding oh, down this Matthew, note. that's awesome. I mean, you just have to watch out for me in sports metaphors. <laughs> It's, it's my it's my mother's milk sports <laughs> uh, instrument. This and all the instruments together okay. create the symphony. All right, that's like when I say I, I I we play in the key of Jewish here, but we're all playing the same big instrument. Yeah, uh, beautiful, just beautiful. Listen, um, so we didn't talk about the divine feminine today. But we promise that's no, no. This has been very thorough. We 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 promise that's where we'll start next time. Yes. Uh, and I think we're ready to do that. And um, that's perfect. Uh, and in the meantime, let's take my suggestions. We take a couple, some more people raise their hand, and then we close with another prayer. Rabbi, would that be all right? Mm -hmm. Amy. Yeah, I, I just wanted to speak to, to Matthew's point uh, about um, what would happen if you gave everyone the opportunity to, to, to pray in another world, in another person's... Sacred view, world. Right. And, and that, that, that you know, what could happen and, and, and maybe you'd be you know, taken in by another tradition. But if you just go by the basic theory that there is the commonality across all, and if you happen to find that praying in Arabic touches your soul more than praying in Hebrew, it, it doesn't change anything. It's the same thing. Right. And, you know, so if, every, if you come, come at it as uh, it, you know, all those different instruments, you might be better at a violin than you are with an oboe. And that's okay, because you're all reaching the same, the same place. Which would extend to the different modalities of prayer, the physical, the emotive, the contemplative, each person may be better, more, find themselves more attuned to one kind of prayer in that way as well. That's Does right. that make sense? That's right. Yeah. Yes, Blaze. Um, my grand, it was the holidays. My daughter's son is my grandson. So I heard him say to somebody, oh, I'm half Jewish and half Christian, because his father is not Jewish, and their family is not particularly religious. And I could just feel it. I was like, no, you're all Jewish. You're 100% Jewish. And then, then I didn't say this because I didn't think of it at the time, but the next time he comes up with a comment like that, I want to tell him he's fully Jewish and he's and fully, fully Christian. Christian. And he's not half anything. He's holy everything. Thank you. Holy and holy. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Ruth. And then Jay. Really next week. I think we're really ready for that conversation. And there's a second part in the syllabus about sexuality. Well, we're only going to get to a couple more things because we have two more classes. We have to extend the syllabus. Yeah. Sorry, we didn't follow the syllabus, uh, but noted. And we will t we will move right into discussing divine feminine 
Next class. Yes. Just a quick comment on what Matthew said. Um, as the Jesuits said, as you all know, you know, give me a child for their first three years and it'll be mine forever. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a thing called indoctrination. If the child's indoctrinated as a Jew or as a Christian, as a Muslim, that is powerful. And it's not that easy to take an indoctrinated child and as he gets into an adult, they, that's with them forever. And, and so I appreciate this conversation. But this is a very unique... I think that's a really important thing to say. And I think that reflects what I said about, you know, how long it's taken me to reach a moment like this. And, uh, and at the same time, I'm so deeply grateful that my parents decided to raise me as a knowledgeable, proud Jew. And so, uh, I, I, I totally hear you. I think it's a really valid point. There's Jane. a conflict, is the point. Yeah, there's, uh, well, call it a conflict, uh, but call it a conflict with a small c. Call it the human condition, uh, where we're going to be raised by our parents and our community with a certain culture and identity, and then we have to learn, if we're going to keep growing as adults, how to transcend it. <coughs> And indoctrinated. I mean, I mean, you know, you could be indoctrinated to eat dog like you do in China. And to us, it's, it's repulsive. You're a monster to eat a dog. Yet we're indoctrinated to take dogs in as pets. So indoctrination, all I'm saying, is so powerful. Yes, I think, it's, I think you expressed it beautifully, and, Jay. And it also, I think, it, it shows two ways we can transmit our religious traditions. We can transmit them primarily as doctrinal systems, or we can transmit them primarily as spiritual training programs, you know, where the emphasis is on the the, the practices, the transformative dimensions, the the cosmology, oh, the, you know, these kinds of beautiful things. Or we can transmit it as, you know, this is the checklist that you have to believe, and whoever isn't in this box is out. And um, where is the primary emphasis? All of our traditions have beliefs, and all of our traditions have practices. And it's, it seems to me that we're at a time where we're realizing we need to emphasize the practice side of the equation a little less than the belief side, perhaps. Oh, that was well put. Oh, did I say that backwards? Yeah, a little more. Yeah, exactly. A little more. A little more. Right. Right. Because that's where we can meet, is in the, the, the actual experiences of divine reality. Okay, with your indulgence, I see there are two more comments, so we're going to run over a couple of minutes. I hope you can stay. Yeah, I wonder whether um, if you start out somewhere, it's easier to do that elsewhere, so that the instrument, if I can play a clarinet, it's easier to learn an oboe, because mm -hmm. I already know the scales and I have a sense of it. But if you start with nothing, it's much harder for anything. I think it's a great analogy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and it's in, one of the arguments for raising children with a faith tradition, even if you don't intend them to... Even, right. even, even if you're not change. exclusivist right. in right. your intention yeah. about it. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. And Zakia? You know, it was so interesting when Bobby led us in the prayer, hi, hi, who, I couldn't tell who was Jewish and who was Buddhist and who was... You couldn't tell? You couldn't tell? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Two, um... Good point. Uh, just so you know, you'll find a flyer out on the table there. Are they out there already? Yeah, I'm taking one Pauline is organizing our third installment of workshops on Pathways into Jewish Prayer. Mm -hmm where we are exploring all these different modalities. Uh, and so uh, it starts uh, next, uh, it's going to be on Tuesday evenings, starting for seven consecutive Tuesdays, starting next week. So please talk to Pauline if you're interested. And she's also, and Gail Albert, have initiated what's called a Beit Midrash, 
it's called, that's like madrasa in, uh, in Arabic, a uh, house of study, uh, a drop-in on Wednesday mornings here, where if there's something you want to learn about Judaism or explore, we're going to have people in our library who are just happy to meet with you and chat with you. So, thank you, Paul. So, uh, we'll meet next week, here, same time, same place. And we'll talk only about <laughs> the Divine Feminine. Okay, wait, wait. We're going to close with a chant. Okay. Um, I just thought we'd all chant the Fatiha together. Since oh, what a beautiful idea. Since we have the Arabic here, so we might as well. So, um, in our tradition, you open your hands. So I don't know if it's possible to do that. And hold and the hold paper. <laughs> okay. You can do this in your lap. I can do, do one. In your lap, yeah. Or hold it in your hand. Right. Or we could repeat after you. <coughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. I'm, I'd like to repeat after you. Which side are we doing? The Arabic. The Arabic. Fatiha on yeah. top. Oh, okay. So, first. Can we repeat after you? Could you do this sure. full response? Yeah, then yeah. I don't have to look at the words. So, first, I'll call out the Fatiha, and then I'll say a little. Salawat to the Prophet, and then we'll start, okay? Al-Fatiha Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad wa sallihi wa sallam Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillah irabbil alameen Alhamdulillah, Rabbi Al-Ahmi. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Maliki Yom Ad-Din. Maliki Yom Ad-Din. Iyaka Nabadu wa Iyaka Nasta'in. Iyaka Nabadu wa Iyaka Nasta'in. Ihtina Sirat al-Mustaqim. Ihtina Sirat al-Mustaqim. Sirat al-Adhina Namta Alayhim. Sirata Eladina Anamta Alayhim. Hire Matubi Alayhim Waladolin. Hire Matubi Alayhim Waladolin. And then you kind of bring the prayer over your face. Okay. Like the Shema. Now, now would you pray it once straight through and just let us absorb it? Sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. Isn't it beautiful? That's a whole other topic is the relationship of cantorial music to Eric. They all come from the... Oh. Walk in peace, everybody. <laughs>